I think that's one of the scariest things about data science, which is you see something and you come up with an explanation and you kind of trust your explanation. But in this case, the explanation was a data error. This episode of Data Stories is sponsored by Quadrigram, a web-based application designed to bring data stories to life. With Quadrigram, you can create and share interactive data stories without the need of any coding skills. Check it out at quadrigram.com. everyone data story 66 hi enrico how are you doing i'm doing great how about excellent. you excellent yes very good I, i had a good start into the year i, I, I can yeah, say I saw, yeah i saw it <laughs> you followed me on twitter yeah of course <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah no i had a, a nice little like holiday project that gained some traction uh, over the like year change it was great fun so i did one thing i took a list of german place names like all the towns and villages and so on and i was looking for the most common endings like in germany we have a lot of hausen and bergs and Ingens, you know, like the yeah. typical endings of the names. And I made like heat maps across Germany where these endings would occur most prominently. Super interesting, little fun experiment. And I just put it up on the web and on GitHub and then people started to pick it up and remix it. And somebody made a Romanian version, somebody made a <laughs> Slovakian version, there's a US version now. I get pull requests on my GitHub repo. So, you know, it's like one of these <laughs> yeah. things that starts small and people just pick it up and do something with it. It's, it's a great experience. Is there any Italian version yet? Not yet. So you can totally do that. Oh yeah, um, sure. There's a little, yeah, it's, I think it can be done in maybe an hour or something to do a new localized <laughs> version. So uh, we can give it a shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's a nice thing. And it's sort of, these things, they excite me because all these data sources are out there. We can work with them and just do something with them and find something out about the world. Uh, even if it's just small things like place name structures, um, Yeah, I think that that brings us also to our guest because he does really interesting things with open data as well. Um, welcome to the show, Ben Wellington. Hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. Hi. It's nice to be here. Great to have you. Ben, can you tell us a bit uh, about yourself? Uh, who are you? What are you doing? And so on. Uh, sure, yeah. Um, so I'm a, uh, uh, I guess the word now is data scientist, right? Um Uh, I did a, uh, currently uh, it's still data science. That's, that's the new the hip thing. So I have a yeah. background in, uh, in natural language processing. Um, I did my mm -hmm. PhD at, at NYU and, uh, now I'm an assistant visiting professor at the Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, where uh, I teach urban planners about statistics, uh, which mm -hmm. is kind of fun. Um, and also I, I work in the, in the, uh, financial industry along the way. And lastly, run this blog called uh, I Quant New York, where, where I seek to, to quantify uh, the data that New York City and state um, puts out that kind of affects the lives of New Yorkers. Yeah, I saw that. And so uh, I also saw you talk at Visualize and some of your project. I was really fascinated uh, how, yeah, how much value you can create from these like public data sources by looking into them, asking questions and going on these little data investigations. Yeah. I think that's very fascinating. Um, how did you start that, that blog or that Tumblr, um, Tumblr log or how you call it? Um, <laughs> how did that come? It. Did you just like think could be fun to do it or did you have like the plan to make it as big as, as it has become now? How, uh, how did that come yeah, about? Definitely, definitely not th planning to make it big when it started. Um, it goes back to, to me marrying a, an urban planner. Um, my wife, Leslie, <laughs> uh, uh, She, she was at uh, Pratt 
um, and was taking a statistics class, which was, you know, a typical statistics class. Uh, you have your textbook, you have your problems, you're learning about t-tests and correlations. Um, but she'd come home every day after class and say, you know, why do I have to, to learn this? This is kind of silly. And I'm like, no, it's not. This is so important. Uh, so, you know, the conversation around the dinner table. And uh, uh, what I realized is that we're teaching our urban planner statistics from a textbook. Along the same time, we're releasing public city data sets in the cities they're learning in. So yeah. I realized there's a big disconnect here with the way we're teaching students and the reality of today's time. So I, uh, I went to the school and I said, hey, you know, um, my wife goes here. You, haven't met me. You, you, know, you may not know me, but... Um, I have a vision for statistics for urban planners. Let's let's use open data and public data and make it applied so that instead of learning about fake problems, they're learning about the problems that they're interested in locally, whether it's, you know, um, complaints to three on one lines or stop and frisk or, or whatever is happening, current events. So to make stats, maybe just a little more fun. And then from there... I had to make fun homework problems. <laughs> uh, and those homework problems, I started to search for little, you know, uh, nuggets of, of, of interesting findings in public data. And as I did that, I thought maybe more than just the 12 people in the class might be interested, and hence the blog. Um, I started putting kind of my findings from homework on the blog, and every time I did, they got picked up by a media organization, and I was like, wow, that was cool. <laughs> and, then I got, and then I got hooked, so, so here I am today. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's an amazing story. So, can you tell us a little bit about um, few of the favorite posts or investigations that you had? I know that you have quite a few ones by now. Um, yeah. Are there any specific ones that you you want to mention? Um, there, there are some. They range from sort of you know fun um, to to maybe policy and, and more serious. Uh, and things on the fun side were things like finding the the fast food chain. In uh, in New York, that had the worst worst health inspection scores, so versus the best. <laughs> yeah. um, and the finding there was that White Castle had the cleanest restaurants, which was was okay. a shock for New Yorkers. If you mm -hmm. if you know mm -hmm. White Castle, um, yeah. that would be a little bit strange. Uh, um, so that was kind of fun. Or I, I I quantified how far the average person in Manhattan is from a Starbucks, um, and it turns out that about half of the city is within four blocks. <laughs> which was well, half of Manhattan. And then, and then went and found the person who lived farthest from a Starbucks in, 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 uh, in Manhattan. And, and I didn't go and confront the person, but, but I did find them. I said, you know, you, you live farthest. Uh, <laughs> so those are the kind of things that may not change everyone's lives. Um, um, but then, you know, on the flip side are things I started to look at, like the taxi industry. Um, and I guess one of my, my favorites there was uh, exploring... Uh, tipping behavior, and and when I when I dove in, I realized that uh, that the computers in the back of New York City cabs, which by the way, when you pay with credit card, a little box comes up and it says, "Would you like to tip twenty percent, twenty five, thirty, or other?" So those are your four options: twenty percent, twenty five, thirty, or other. Um, and so you know, I found most people click twenty percent, but what was strange was that when people click twenty percent, different things would happen. It turned out that half of the fleet in New York City was programmed to tip on top of tolls and taxes, and the other half wasn't, depending on the vendor of the machine in the back. So two different programmers kind of, you know, calculated tip differently. So half of our fleet was was providing three to four hundred dollars more a year to each cab driver um, if they had that computer in the back versus the other, mm -hmm. um, which was just, you know, surprising in such a highly regulated industry. So. When I wrote about that, the city actually worked with the vendor and they reprogrammed half the cabs uh, in New York 
uh, within a few oh, weeks. Wow. Yeah. So today, everybody tips on top of tolls and taxes. <laughs> so <laughs> Thanks, it a, Ben. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but at least it's equitable. At least I don't have to wonder what the computer is in the back of the cab. So yeah. that, those are the kind yeah. of things that can end up um, you know, actually making, making changes, which is really, really fun. I think that blog post was really interesting because it started from you being curious about like why there would be such a peak in the data at that point, right? Or right. why the data would be skewed in that strange way. Right. And uh, so just inspecting the raw data led to this unfolding of, well, how did that come about? And I think many people would have stopped at that point, just said, yeah, tipping data is funny. Right. But I think it's great that you actually you look for the cause behind that, right? And yeah. this makes the whole story in the end. And I think what was really neat about it is it actually started with a um, a, new, a magazine article um, that another publication had put out that basically made a histogram of the tipping amounts. And I noticed that everyone was tipping 16%, but no one was tipping 14%. Or, or, or sorry, <laughs> excuse me. It was 21% versus 19%. So I understood why yeah. everyone tipped 20 because there was the 20 button. Sure. But all the people who hit other why were they all choosing 21 instead of 19 when they did the math in their head? And doesn't make sense. it didn't yeah. make sense. Right. So that these are these gut checks. When you're doing data science, you look at, you look at a data set and you have to always check in, you know, it, does this make sense to me? Is there, or is there something that's worth kind of pulling a thread and seeing where it goes? And I saw that in a publication yeah. and I, I was like, something is wrong with their math because no one just, you know, randomly rounds up to 21 and down. And it just isn't, it was, you know, 10 times more people tipping 21%. So It turned out they had made a, a math error because they hadn't realized that the computers were were different. And that's where it led me to this finding. It wasn't that I went out seeking it. It's that you notice that little, uh, you know, that little sign that something's not exactly like you'd expect. And you start pulling the thread and, and things unravel to really interesting stories. Yeah, that, that's what I really like of this kind of blog post, Ben, because so first of all, I have to say that being living in New York makes me when I read this post, I can relate so much more than if it were something different. So right. I think that that's that's a huge component there. Uh, but what I really like is that sometimes the, the, the way you write this blog post is at the beginning, you show something and then you ask the reader, did you see anything strange here? And right. it's so fascinating. I think especially this one that you were just mentioning when I I reread the blog post this morning and it's like there is this chart and there are clearly a couple of peaks which you can clearly um, uh, explain. And then you ask, is there anything weird here? And right. I think it's a, it's a it's a fantastic kind of kind of game and way to to engage people. Yeah, and in the end, you know, so much of data science is is that sort of um, weaving in and out and and iteratively, you know, doing analysis and then seeing where it brings you, and then doing more analysis and seeing where it brings you. It's a, it's a back and forth. Um, you don't always know where you're heading from the start. So that's you know kind of kind of fun. Do you also have any unsolved mysteries? Oh man, yeah. uns unsolved <laughs> mysteries. Uh, <laughs> Uh, in, that's in the data. Yeah, where you had something funny in the data, and you still can't tell why why it would be so funny, like the distribution or something. There's some interesting like peaks in you know sometimes you look at the time of day of certain types of crimes or or, or things like that, and you see strange little bumps, and yeah. you always you always ask yourself, is that noise or is that real? <laughs> and <laughs> right. and I ask, I'm asking myself all all the time. So I, I'm I'm constantly coming across mysteries, and you know. I don't have I don't have like a single one that's you know the the that one that got away from me. <laughs> <laughs> the one but, thing that keeps you awake at night. It doesn't yeah, exist. That's I don't have one of those, but I but I am constantly <laughs> saying oh, that's weird. You know, if I can't explain it, then unless it's super 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 obvious, I, I sometimes just say, all right, well, maybe yeah. maybe I'll kind of put that to bed and not make something out of nothing. So, 
Yeah, that's also something I tell my clients always. Like step one is don't trust the data. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's like it's like the first step in your data science project. And it's, it's, and what's usually, great about usually it's yeah. a good heuristics. What's great yeah. about the, the this particular article is that they went and interviewed the the head of the New York City Taxi Workers Alliance um, because yeah. another finding they had was that people tip more during the evening rush hour in this article, and so they went to this 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 um, uh, the Taxi Worker Alliance and said, "Can you explain why people tip more?" during the evening rush hour. And, and she was saying, hmm, you know, I think people are very connected during rush hour to their <laughs> taxi drivers and they have an emotional yeah. connection and empathy. And, yeah, yeah, empathy. And so, and I'm like, you know, that explains maybe 1%, but not 10%. <laughs> um, so, and it turned out that, that it was the same problem. There was, a, there was a rush hour surcharge that was being tipped on top of. And so the, the numerator and denominator was off on the, on the math. And so no one was tipping more at rush hour. The 20% button was tipping more at rush hour. Um, yeah. And so you have one of these things that's so easy to explain. You know, you see a data anomaly, and someone says, "Why is that way?" We as humans are going to be able to explain it, right? It's it's post yeah. post hoc rationalization. I think that's one of the scariest things about data science, which is you see something and you come up with an explanation, and you kind of trust your explanation. But you know, in this case, the explanation was a data error, um, and yet here we are uh, interviewing people about why it's there, and and then kind of making statements. So so that's that's always scary. Yeah. Yeah, always everybody's speculating. Um, yeah, there's one more project I found really interesting. Uh, it's about parking spots and parking tickets. Ha, yeah, and it's a good story about impact <laughs> as well. I think because uh, yeah, you actually achieved quite something. Do you want to uh, tell us a bit more about this project? Yeah, sure. Um, it kind of starts with my my fascination with with parking tickets. Uh, you know, they seem kind of mundane, but but. This is this is the, the way I kind of run the blog is I I, I take a, an idea like a data set. Sometimes I have an idea and I go look for data, but often I have a uh, a data set and I just go hunting for ideas. And this is a great case. You have parking tickets and you start asking questions. You know, um, I you know where are the most gold cars in New York? Are they in rich neighborhoods or poor neighborhoods? <laughs> like I, I don't know. I haven't figured. That, I haven't looked that up yet. But that's fascinating. Yeah, you yeah. know, do um, are there quotas? Are there more tickets being given at the end of the month? You know, uh, do our police really random when they give out tickets or can we predict where they're going to walk? Uh, and it turns out they actually, you can predict. I was able to <laughs> use that to my advantage in my neighborhood. But um, uh, one of my, one of the easiest things to do is just to count, right? And any sort of aggregation on a column in a data set. In this case, I was looking for, uh, uh, in New York, if you park within 15 feet of a fire hydrant, uh, you get a very uh, expensive ticket and, and possibly towed away, which can cost you many hundreds of dollars. So I was curious which hydrant in New York had the most parking tickets associated with it. Um, and it, it's, it's you know, that's a couple of lines of, of, of code to do an aggregation. So it turned out that there were these two hydrants in the Lower East Side that together were, you know, making almost, uh, I think it was like $50,000 a year in uh, in in tickets, which is which is pretty pretty amazing, um, and as I investigated, it just became clear that it was just a confusing situation for for people parking. Um, there was what what appeared to be a bike lane. So imagine uh, you have a curb with a hydrant, and then you have kind of a bike lane along the curb, mm -hmm. and then parking spots, kind of like those protected bike lanes that you see in different cities. Mm -hmm. So yeah. in that case, can you park in front of the hydrant? You're not really in front of it. You're right? not blocking it. You're right? not blocking it. So the answer is, if that was actually a bike lane, you can. But on this street, 
the thing with all the bikes on it that people use to bike is not a bike lane. It's called a curb extension, <laughs> which was meant to widen the sidewalk and slow down traffic. Now you wouldn't know that as a, you know, as a parker. So people park there and for That's a fairly subtle distinction, it's a very <laughs> subtle distinction. And, and yeah. for, um, you know, for five, 10 years, I don't know exactly how long, at least five years, uh, the NYPD would, would, would ticket the spot because the department of transportation painted a parking spot. And the right. police department disagreed with this designation, <laughs> and they fought about this on the windshields of New Yorkers for for a very, a very long time. <laughs> um, so in in this case, I wrote about it. Uh, you know, I think one of the hydrants was was making over over thirty three thousand. The other one, uh, uh, you know, was making uh, twenty five thousand. So they, these are hydrants making more than minimum wage, just being hydrants, right? <laughs> it's like it's pretty amazing. Um, so I wrote about this, and and it. You know the media loves this stuff. It, it went. It was first in the Post, and then it made its way, way to the the London Daily Mail. Um, so it was a, the hydrant heard around the world. Why? Because it was collecting tickets. And the Department of Transportation, you know, to their credit, acted within a few weeks, repainted the parking spots, uh, put some you know zebra stripes or whatever you want to call them to stop people from parking, and the problem was solved. Uh, so, so this is like taking data at a very local level and, and, and finding things in, in a local community that, that maybe aren't on the radar of everybody, but are, are truly, you know, making our cities better, you know, slowly, but, but, um, but, but better nonetheless. And it's, it's actually changing our streets, right? Yeah, that, that's an amazing story. I so much like the fact that starting from a few data points, a little bit of an analysis and, and a blog post, you, you managed to make a, a very interesting and impactful change. This right. doesn't happen very often. I, I think I've, I found myself in the past debating with some people on give me examples of data or data visualizations that have a, an impact. Right. And, and what is impact, right? And then you read this blog post and it's clear. I mean, here we go. That's, that's impact. Right? It's small, you know, small, small impact, but it's, you know, impact nonetheless. Well, I, it is, it is, right? <laughs> and it's, it's yeah. a sign of what could come, right? I mean, it's small because look, so much of data is still closed off. And so um, uh, it's hard to have an impact, you know, when, when you don't have access to any of the raw data. So as things start to open up, I think we'll see more and more of an impact. And so this is, to me, I was really excited in the same way you were in that I saw it as a sign that, look, so, like a person who has no connection with government and just some data skills can take open data and <laughs> yeah, change, exactly. change a neighborhood. So I was very excited when, when they painted that, that street, I got to tell you. <laughs> I think that's one of the most exciting aspects of, of working with data. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a good time to take a little break and talk about our sponsor this week. As you all know, modern life is complex and this creates the need for digital creators to support their arguments with facts and figures. A data-based narrative which intertwines annotations and media elements with data visualizations is the perfect way to communicate complex realities. It's not only important to understand and process lots of information, but we also need to have the tools to communicate findings in a structured and nice way. Now, Quadrigram is a web-based application to create and share these types of data stories on the internet. Its intuitive interface allows users to design interactive narratives by merging graphic elements, such as text, images, videos, and data visualization modules into a single data story. And you can then publish your work as a fully functional website or interactive slide presentation without the need of any coding skills. Readers can browse the story and discover their own findings, basically create their own unique synthesis. Quadrigram is a product by Bestiario, a design firm with more than 10 years of experience in the wonderful field of data visualization. 
Quadrigram is free and you just need a Gmail account to start building and sharing your data stories. So check it out at quadrigram.com. That's Q-U-A-D-R-I-G-R-A-M.com. And now back to the show. So, um, Ben, can you, I would like to talk a little bit about the process. Um, sure. How do you come up with the idea in the first place? And how do you um, retrieve or find the data, analyze the data? Yeah. And then how do you design a very nice blog post with some visualizations and, and all the rest? Can you walk us through um, a little bit of what are the steps that you follow and what what can happen there at each step? Yeah, I think there are. So we'll start with the idea. Um, yeah. And, and they come from from two places. Um, th those which are sort of hypothesis-driven and, and those that are, are data-driven. I think that's sort of a commonality in data science more broadly. Uh, are you setting out to find, you have a specific you know, hunch that when I look at this, I'll find this? In the case of, you know, are there parking ticket quotas, right? That's, a, that's an idea, that's a hypothesis um, mm -hmm. that you can go and, and, and explore. So that's, those come up, you know, you live in a city, you walk around and you, you notice things. And, and I'm, I'm often just saying to myself, can I quantify that? Um, You know, can I understand more about what I'm looking at? So I, ideas just kind of come from from living in the city and thinking about things that are interesting. Um, so that's one line of ideas. And the other is, as I mentioned earlier, sort of data exploration on a new data set. When, when, a, when a, a new data set's released, for example, uh, just a, a week or two ago, New York City released its uh, crime data for the first time. Um, this is incident level. So you can see where each individual, uh, you know, uh, robbery took place or burglary. Um, and, and that's a case where I just take the data set and I just start exploring it. Um, what do you look for? You look for outliers. Uh, uh, it's funny because people say, you know, how do you know what to write about? And you take a column of data and you look for the most of anything or the least of anything. And sometimes there's a story there, right? Like the most blocked driveway in New York. Like, that, <laughs> like why not, right? The most, the area with the most crime, uh, which block has the most car stolen, you know, which block has the most burglaries. Every one of those is its own, you know, exploration. And to me, each one can spawn an entire blog post. And so I never feel sort of constrained. Given a data set, I could, I could write 50 blog posts on it. I just, and in fact, I always tell myself, don't, because people will get bored of the same <laughs> data over and over again. But, but you just take a, you know, sometimes it doesn't have to be super complicated. It can be a single column or two where you're, you're, um, where you're looking. A great example of that, by the way, is city bike data. Um, You can do all sorts of things. The data set has locations and people doing all different things. But uh, uh, I just was exp exploring which stations have the most males versus the most females. Uh, <laughs> and so that's you know an example of taking one column of data and then splitting it by location. And you get a beautiful map of, of the city uh, based on the gender of city bike riders, which shows that Midtown, where all the offices are, is predominantly male riding, up to 80 or 90%. <laughs> and then if you want to find females, uh, your best chance is heading over to Brooklyn, uh, where they're more likely to ride the bike. So, so that just came up from just looking at the data uh, and taking one column at a time. Nice. And um, so you have some sort of kind of a qu data question templates, right? Yeah, I'd say so. The, I think yeah. I have like, yeah, you can, you can describe it like that. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and once you kind of come up with the way you find things, it's easy to write some, it's relatively easy to write some code to start to, to replicate things. Um, for spatial data, I'm always interested in how it affects different neighborhoods. So I can have a, a, a little utility that can take any, any uh, uh, longitude latitude and join, you know, neighborhoods and police precincts and, and council districts 
um, because these are the things that people really connect to. And so it, when you start to get kind of into a flow, you can actually turn these data analyses around very, very quickly. The example of the hydrant, right, is, is, is a few lines of code. Um, yeah. it's, not, it's, not a, it's descriptive statistics. It's, a, it's, it's just counting things. Um, I, I, you know, I have yet to do any sort of sophisticated modeling. Um, I mean, I do that more broadly in, in my life, but on the blog, I haven't, I haven't put out a predictive model yet. It's, it's just describing things, and that's a lot of fun. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, you have a like, because you limit yourself to New York, you can sort of reuse the same techniques over and over, which is very smart too, right? So you, you don't have to start from zero right. uh, yeah. every time. So that's a, a smart choice. It's also important to understand what you're working with, right? When I, when I see crime in New York, I understand it. Um, when I see crime in Seattle, I need to call my friends and say, why is right, this right. area yeah. like this? Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. And so that context when you're exploring something helps a lot in data analysis, right? If, if you don't know and understand your, your variables and what you're looking at, then those hunches won't, won't, won't follow through. Yeah. Just technically speaking, like which tools do you use or also which tools can you recommend maybe to people who, who would like to do similar things for their city? Yeah. Um, well, so one dirty secret, which I'll, I'll, I'll share with you if you don't tell anyone, um, is uh, that I do use Excel. <laughs> um, I, and I'll tell you why. Let me, let me justify my choice. I, I don't use it for everything, but I'll tell you why. Um, an Excel pivot table is really fast and good that's at counting good. things. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. It's just less time than me typing in the name of the file in Python and doing like I can yeah. I can double click on my CSV, drag and drop, and get counts of, you know, the most yeah. anything. Yeah. So you're a sinner. You're a sinner, Ben. I know. I'm embarrassed <laughs> to admit this, but um, as long as you don't tell anyone, we're good. Um Uh, so I'm not afraid of, of an Excel pivot table for quick and dirty analyses that are small and and can be handled with that. You know, Excel yep. can't do something like a median, God forbid, um, in a pivot table. So it's not perfect for everything. But for counting things, it's great. Uh, once, you know, if I'm not using that, then I'm, I'm likely using uh, uh, IPython in, in a, mm -hmm. uh, and, and using pandas within that, which is sort of a data science Python toolkit. I love notebook environments. Um, I really, really do. I've, I, I, I don't know where I'd be without them. Um, and, and, uh, IPython notebook is, is, uh, is, is awesome for me and my workflow. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and then lastly, uh, QGIS, which is, uh, spatial analysis software. It's free, it's open source. Um, and you know, people are intimidated by it, but it, it, it the best way to learn something is to have a story to tell. Because uh, if you have a story to tell, you you go on Stack Overflow and <laughs> you figure out how to tell it. Um, <laughs> uh, so I've learned. I taught myself kind of GIS and, and QJS. And when I'm stuck, I, I can email friends or or look around on the web, and it's allowed me to do such you know such fun things. I, I you know uh, uh, planners are used to the software; they use it all the time. G, uh, uh, GIS software, and I'm I'm a computer scientist. I'd never really gotten into it. But the operations are so natural to me, like intersections and 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 unions and and Voronoi polygons and and you know nerdy nerdy things abound in the software that that if you think kind of mathematically, um, using GIS software kind of empowers you to do really really uh, fun and, and cool things. So, um, are there any other or specific visualization tool that you use in in the process? Uh, other than those guys, and then lastly, I should mention CartoDB. Um, so I'm not. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm not a. Uh, I'm so. In fact, you you started the the conversation mentioning uh, the visualized conference, and yeah. you know, I was I, to be honest with you, I was a bit terrified to be there. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I I am not an I'm not artistic. I, I if you go to my site, um, you'll see kind of scrappy visualizations here and there. Some of the maps that the maps that are cool and look good, I made in CartoDB. 
Um, I don't have web, you know, I've never taken the time to learn, to learn, uh, you know, uh, uh, web, web tools and, and, and things like that. So I'm not, it's just not my, in my sweet spot. So, you know, I like telling stories and I, and I use ugly sometimes charts to show what I'm trying to say. Uh, thank God for CartoDB because I can, I can upload, um, uh, shape files and, and other, you know, geographic data, uh, from GIS where I'm doing it locally into the, into the web where I can kind of craft these dynamic maps. Uh, and so that's a great way to learn too. You can, as long as you have some sort of longitude or latitude or some sort of polygons, uh, Car2DB allows you to to be a kind of novice web guy like me and um, still make a dynamic map. So that's that's huge for me. Mm -hmm. And so you ex you have a question, you have a data set, you have a question, or sometimes you just explore, uh, you make a few maps. Now, how does that become the narrative and the blog post that you present in the end? So is it like, is the blog post usually more... Uh, a recapping of all the steps you took? Yeah. Like, is the order of things presented in the blog post often the order of your actions? Or is it more like you take the best three, like, plots and make a nice story around them? Like, what what's the usual, like, process leading up to the, the text and the narrative? Right. So the so the taxi example we mentioned earlier was, was, more, was more kind of a narrative of my process, though I would say that's less often what I'm doing. You know, I'm... Uh -huh. I'm there's a lot of great work... Um, Uh, being done on blogs and, and data science, but I, I was kind of, I set off to make mine sort of accessible to everyone instead mm -hmm. of, of interest to, to programmers or, or data scientists. Um, and so making that choice, I, I don't, I almost never get technical um, at all in my posts. And so um, I found that like, that's, that's that thinking, thinking about your story and, and the narrative is probably one of the most important things about my work. Uh, Uh, thinking about storytelling, you know, relating to people, finding the things that they care about and, and putting, sometimes I have little stories like running for the subway or, or my bike was stolen or, or other things that, that I, that I put in there to just help people relate and, and say to themselves, Oh, actually data can be cool. Um, if I write about, you know, pandas and IPython, I, I will lose 90, you know, 99% of my audience on the sure. first, on the yeah. first few sentences. So, yeah. so I'm, I'm very, uh, I'm very careful to, to, to try to not make it technical. And so, yeah, I, I do a lot of analysis. Usually I'll find the most interesting thing and then I will work that into a narrative, um, not necessarily the way I found it, though Though there are a few exceptions where I think they're like good data science lessons um, I sprinkle in there. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a ratio of how much um, exploration you do and how much individual charts you would produce and how much then make it into the blog post? Do you have like a feeling? Uh I mean, it, it can be, I mean, it can be anywhere from, there are times where it's 90% storytelling, 10% analysis, to be honest. Um, uh, oh, yeah. you know, like the, like the hydrants a great example. It's like, I found that it didn't take, it didn't take long. Now what? Um, uh, so, so, you know, and then there are times where, uh, the analysis is, is, is a lot more, uh, arduous, like large data sets, the taxi data, uh, for taxi pickups and drop-offs in New York is, is is a very large data set and so um it's uh, that, a huge one i love that data set yeah, it has like hundreds of millions of rides it's very it's cool like, wow yeah you know so cool. one yeah. thing you know it reminds me so um there you know there's a big fight between uh, uh the mayor of new york de blasio and and uber that's been going on for the last year and a half about congestion and and um there is a question where the, the de blasio administration was blaming the uptick in ubers for slowing traffic down in in new york um, oh, wow. And around Manhattan, mm -hmm. and so they were saying they were going to put a cap on the number of uh, Ubers 
licenses they were going to give out for, for, for higher vehicles. And this became kind of a fight. Um, so the administration commissioned a study, which is going to be released any day now. Um, and it costs $2 million. Okay. $2 million. Wow. Um, now, if you take a step back and you understand that along the way, this ta- taxi data has been released and some uh, of the Uber data has been released through freedom of information requests. And so online, you can get access to this data. And yeah. if you start to look at some of the data journalism, I, I did a post in, in the New Yorker, but but so did 538 did an excellent article um, asking this exact question, is Uber raising traffic? And and they do great, great analysis. And it tells really compelling answers to these questions for free for the government, right? So yeah. we're seeing that that now do they pay attention? I, I don't know. But I do know that they're going to spend $2 million. And what the, what the media is saying is that they came to the same conclusion that all of these journalists and bloggers did, um, where the city can kind of should, should be taking more advantage of that. I'd love to see them take, mm-hmm. this, take this public data that they're releasing and listen to people's responses and use that uh, uh, as a money-saving technique instead of spending $2 million to have someone else do the exact same thing. So I'm waiting to read the report, but all the media is, that I've read on it um, basically says that it, it's going to say the same thing that we're seeing in the blogs. Yeah. So Ben, um, I have a different kind of question. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure many of our listeners are aspiring data scientists or, yeah. and or visualizers. So do you have any suggestions of people who are just starting or didn't even start yet, but they love this field. They are excited about the idea of working with data. Um, how do you start? Do you have any tips in, in this sense? Yeah. I, you know, I think. I think that the ha- having a story to tell in some sense is is a big part of it, yeah. right? So so you need to motivate yourself to to go do something. And and I don't know about you, but I was I was never. I mean, I didn't do my summer reading as a kid. <laughs> don't tell my mom. <laughs> um, I you know I I don't sit down with a textbook and read it end to end. There are people who do that. It's just not me. Um, and so I'm, as much as I want to learn in the world, I, I'm, I don't, I'm not the type of person, I'm always distracted by things and I'm not the type of person that sits down and just like study something for the sake of studying it to increase my knowledge. I wish I were, but I'm not. And so, but, but when I found, when I found that I had a story to tell and I just needed to learn X to tell it, I mean, that gets me up, that gets me, uh, uh, learning these tools. Um, and so I found that to be just incredibly motivating, uh, to get started, like having that motivation because it becomes, you know, you have your goal, you have your goal in mind, and you iteratively learn because you don't need to learn everything just to tell that story. You need to learn a few things, and then the next story you have to tell, you need to learn a few more things. And as you go, you know, you learn more and more and more and more. But you know, to do the to recreate the the hydrogen analysis I did, you know, you need to learn how to do an aggregation, right? It's 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 uh, you you can find that in sort of any tutorial on a, on a pandas or an R or you know, even Excel pivot tables. So, yeah. uh, so I think, I think that that's to me, the most important thing is having, having a goal. It doesn't have to be a story, but having something you want to know that is going to drive you. Um, from there, you know, you, you, it, you, you, you just kind of, you install some software and you start failing and okay. <laughs> you fail enough times and you read enough posts and you ask enough people for help until you, you, you start to make a little bit of progress and you, and each time you do it, you'll get faster and faster and faster until, you know, today I, there are times that I can turn, like I said, I can turn analysis around in, in, in five, 10 minutes of something that I know I'm looking for. Um, and it's not, it's just because of experience of doing this type of work for so long and, and so many times. I think it's a great tip to start with an interest. And now that, you know, you set this great model for New York, 
Uh, maybe we will soon see Iquant uh, Delhi or Iquant <laughs> Paris. <laughs> I've seen. I've seen. I mean, that would be great. Right? I've heard. I've heard. I've had a lot of people reach out actually internationally, um, yeah. who who told me they were inspired by the blog and have been uh, starting their own. Um, and so I, that's, that's been awesome. that's been yeah. super cool. I've been yeah. I've been super touched by that. Um, and it actually, uh, I'm working on a book uh, which is also going to be a little bit more international with uh, with Riverhead, which is sort of a, div a division of um, Penguin. Uh, so that book is going to be taking international cities and doing the same thing, uh, finding public data sets and then saying what it tells us about the way we act as humans in cities and the funny things we do. Um, that's going to be a lot of work and I, it's, I have to write it, finish it by the end of this year. So I've got a lot of work set out for me, but, oh, wow. yeah, that's um, like, uh, keep is me it busy. called Iquant Planet? You know, I, I, my working I title, I wrote, I, I wrote, I quant the world as a working title though, <laughs> nice whether that's going to pass, yes. I don't think that's going to pass the, uh, you know, the, the scruff no, of, of, of a publishing house. I, yeah. I like it, but we'll, we're, you know, that's so far ahead. I got to actually write the darn thing. <laughs> um, but it, I'm, I'm very excited about that. And that's a more, uh, you know, that'll be a more outside of New York look at things. So. That sounds really amazing. It, it's, and, and it's led to, you know, one of the other great things is that some of the interest has led to my, uh, I just recently had a, uh, a, a little, a son, he's, he's five months old and, oh, uh, congratulations. thank you. And my blogging has slowed down a little bit. I, I gotta be honest with you. <laughs> uh, he takes up, you're you going to be more productive afterwards. Don't you think worry. So? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Keep going. But it's Keep been, going. it's been such a blessing. <laughs> and along with the blog, like I said, there's been some international interest. And so I've gotten invites to speak, uh, in different countries and, and, but we have this little this little, this little guy, but we said, Hey, let's go as a family. So, so we got, a, I got him a passport when he was three weeks old and we've, <laughs> we've, he's been to Tokyo. I mean, not Tokyo, oh, excuse wow. me, backing up. He's been to Taipei, uh, and Amsterdam, uh, wow. uh along with me just to give talks and stuff. So <laughs> wow, that's been, beautiful. that's been a blessing. It's been really, really cool. Uh, all, all just from doing some analysis on a blog, right? Amazing. Amazing. I mean, that, that's, that's really amazing. Yeah. So if you are listening to this, start a blog, get some, find some interesting data and write about some, some amazing stories. I, I, yeah. I mean, it doesn't have to be amazing. You know, uh, uh, so much of the world, so much of the world has yet to be quantified. Like these data yeah. sets just sit there, you know? Uh, oh yeah, many, absolutely. Yeah. They, no one, no, people aren't looking at them in depth. And so you could, you pick up, you take a city that just released any, you know, their parking ticket data set and you'll find a million stories in there. Uh, if you have the interest and drive, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a matter of the fact that this, that these don't seem, I don't think these data sets really fascinate people. And so they kind of sit unexplored. Uh, and so there's so much to find. Uh, and I think, I think that's part of it. That's a great tip. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, thanks. Thanks a lot for coming on the show. That's, that's a really amazing story. Oh, it's such a pleasure. And it's really fascinating what, what, what you are doing. So if um, our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find more information? Um, they can do, I guess, iquant.nyc will bring you to, to my site, which is, which is a Tumblr. The other one is iquantny.tumblr.com. But iquant.nyc, uh, check it out there. Uh, I've got blog posts. You know, used to be weekly, slowing down to maybe <laughs> once a month <laughs> or twice with the new baby, but uh, uh, lots more. And a mailing list on there too, to stay in touch uh, as I kind of, you know, um, Sometimes go back and forth with city officials, so there's some fun stuff going on there yeah. too. Uh, and sometimes just kind of find quirky things and, and, you know, more to come. Yep. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you, Ben. Super inspiring stuff. Thanks, Ben. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Sure thing. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, we have a request. 
If you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. I also want to give you some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We are, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast, And we now also have a newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox, go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link that you find on the right. One last thing I want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest way to improve the show, amazing people you want us to invite, or projects you want us to talk about. So do get in touch with us. That's all for now. See you next time. Thanks for listening to Data Stories. This episode of Data Stories is sponsored by Quadrigram, a web-based application designed to bring data stories to life. With Quadrigram, you can create and share interactive data stories without the need of any coding skills. Check it out at quadrigram.com.